Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. People here from far away, Dakota, Dakota. Um, old friends, new friends. My name is Emily Snyder, and my husband and I and our two young children who were not as loud during worship as they typically are, um, are happy enough to call this place our home. I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that here around the church, and sometimes Adam lets me get up here <clears throat> to talk. Typically, he's not sitting right here, though, so that's what I'm dealing with today, but um, we're in the middle, sorry, Adam, we're in the middle of a series this month uh, where we're all gathered together, we're in, you know, the one service, um, and we're looking at the four devotions of the early church, uh, and we read that verse that we're kind of focusing on uh, during our communion time today. And we're just trying to maybe internalize what those early, early believers did that made the church a church. Does that make sense? Okay, so you all know, what was, what was uh, yesterday the 50th anniversary of? Yeah, the moon landing. So I was talking to my mom about this. My mom is here today. Speaking of visitors from faraway lands, uh, my mom is here today. And I was talking to her about it, and she is old enough to remember the moon landing. I'm not going to tell you how old she was, because some of you are good at math. Um, Not me. Uh, But she was just kind of describing, like, the excitement, like, when the moon landing happened. Um, However, how many of you also remember that? It's okay to raise your hand. That's great. Um, The excitement, not only of it happening, but of, like, the race to get there, right? Uh, And then watching it on TV and looking up at the moon and thinking, there's somebody on the moon right now. Um, So for me, I always grew up knowing that it happened. I've seen the footage, and it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. we showed the footage of it to our kids a couple days ago on YouTube. And afterwards, we asked our daughter, Isla, who is five. Um, my husband said, what do you think about that? And she said, what a waste of time. I could have been watching Muppet Babies instead. That's what she said. Uh, okay, so it's kind of true, right? Events tend to lose their shine as we get further and further away from them. And while I don't feel like as a church we are at like Muppet Babies level of (laughs) disconnectedness, uh, it does a lot of good to look back at what these early believers did in Acts 2 to make sure that it is informing what we do as a church now. So that's why we're doing it. Okay. Don't get to Muppet Babies level. Can we go ahead and put Acts 2.42 up on the screen, please? We're going to read it again. So here we go. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Uh, To recap quickly, because 
I know it's summer, and some of us have been traveling. You can't maybe be here every Sunday. Uh, two weeks ago, Adam talked about devotion to the apostles' teaching, okay? Uh, and he talked about how our faith is a revealed faith by God to us. It's not contrived. Uh, last week, I wasn't here. I listened to it on the audio archive. Uh, Pire reluctantly talked about fellowship, right? And he gave us four uh, ways to kind of take that really trite, churchy word, fellowship, and make it more of an active uh, discipline in our lives. And this week, we're going to talk about the third point in this verse. We're going to talk about sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper. And I'm not going to lie, I really love this topic. And I think it's just because it's my personality uh, and just maybe the things that I'm interested in. I love to have people over to my house. I love to try out new recipes on them that I've never tried before, which sometimes work and sometimes do not. Uh, I love going to other people's houses and bringing a side dish if I'm asked to. Uh, but I'm married to somebody who, while he does not dislike those things, it's not exactly like what he wants to do on a Thursday night. Okay, so as I was preparing today, I kind of um, just need to calibrate a little bit. So I'm going to try to present a very like well-rounded view because I could just be like, everybody go to everybody's house and it will be great. Um, so on that, along that vein, though, how many of you have ever had a really, really good meal with friends or family or friends who are like family or friends and family all together? <coughs> Show of hands. Uh, in this scenario, maybe you could just kind of even like remove yourself a little bit from what's going on and start to appreciate like, I just love these people and every, all my people are here and the kids are playing well or better yet, they're at a babysitter's house, yeah. right? Uh, and the food tastes so good and everybody is just talking and laughing and it's not a thousand degrees outside and it's just like a lovely, lovely day and you just feel so actually blessed, not hashtag blessed, okay? Okay. Um, on the flip side of that, how, how many of you have ever been eating a meal with either somebody or a group of somebodies and you realize whether or not it's anybody's fault, just like, these are not my people, <laughs> okay? I used to go to a lot of librarian conferences, lots of embroidered cat vests, okay? They're lovely people once you get to know them, but man. Um, several, several summers ago, I was in Amman, Jordan, uh, when I was in college, studying Arabic, but I was also trying to evangelize to the Muslims that were there. It was great. It was fine. Um, but the people that I was with on my team, I didn't super connect with them. And it wasn't my fault. It wasn't their fault. They were great. It was just, I don't know. You just sometimes don't connect. Until one day, Labriska showed up. Now, for those of you who don't know who Labriska is, that's fine, but she doesn't go here anymore, so you don't have to worry about that. For those of you who do know who Labriska is, it should probably not surprise you that she just so happened to be passing through the Middle East <laughs> while I was there. And to be able, even for just one night, to sit down and have a meal with somebody who kind of represented, like, my people from a faraway land, I didn't even know her that well at the time. It was, it was a balm to my heart, okay? So the truth is, for some reason, 
We humans connect around a table. Sharing and preparing a table, I think, is following Jesus one-on-one. Um, and I think it's because Jesus so often shared and prepared tables uh, with folks while he was here on earth. And he showed us how it's done. I've even read some theologians that say Jesus ate his way through the Gospels, which is a little irreverent, but kind of true. <laughs> um, and this is also one of those extremely rare occasions when what's taught in the Bible is actually reflected in like the findings of social sciences, right? Child development experts, healthcare professionals, sociologists, they will all tell you that when families get together around a table, their dynamic changes for the better, okay? Kids have higher uh, vocabularies, better success in school. You eat healthier, all of these kinds of things. Um, it's right there. It's right there in the Bible. So we're going to approach this today with kind of an overarching theme. I'm going to say a phrase. I did not come up with this phrase. Disclaimer, okay? But I did hear it recently, and it just seems so um, applicable to what we're talking about today. And here it is. Are you ready? You ready for it? Um, your theology should come out of your fingertips, okay? Uh, and what this means is the heart encounters that you have with the Lord on the inside, the way that he changes your thinking, right, uh, should come out in, like, the day-to-day -day workings that you put your hands to. And what is one of those things that we all do every day? We eat. So to put it even more bluntly, sharing meals together should be part of your theology, and you should be doing it. Okay? So the purpose of today is not to convince you why this is something you should be doing. It's just something that we should be doing. But there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes when we gather around a table. And I'm going to talk about three of those things specifically. And the first of those things is identity. Okay? Something I've noticed a lot lately that Adam is maybe bringing up in his sermons, and I also just feel like it's coming up. Do you ever just have things that like come up in your life, even when you're not in church, and you think, oh, that's probably the Lord? Yeah. Um, it's this concept of story, okay? So everyone in this room, if you're breathing right now, you are living a story. Uh, and if we're followers of Jesus, he has already redeemed your story. Um, and it is around a table that we can very effectively share our stories and learn someone else's. Sharing a meal with others helps us learn who we are. It really does. And if I can just piggyback on that for just a minute, um, I think there's so much value in sharing a table across generations, right? So it's a common ground for people of all ages to not only feed themselves physically, but to feed themselves spiritually as well. You see this play out a lot of times in families. Uh, when my whole family gets together and we go to my grandma's house, we have the great-grandparents, the grandparents, which would be like my mom and dad, and then us, the cousins, and then all the cousins' kids. It's a wild time, okay? Um, but that should be happening just as much among church families, right? And I said something kind of along these lines the last time I spoke, um, but for those of you in this room who have been doing this Jesus life for decades, we need you. I need you. You are not irrelevant, and in fact, you have a huge impact on shaping the identity of this church because you are a gatekeeper 
for our identity, especially here, and I'm talking as Vineyard Campbellsville. There are stories that us youngsters need to hear and that you know and that we don't, but we have yours. And you know where the best place is to share that? Around a table. Okay, so the next thing that kind of works behind the scenes when we share a meal is that of culture shaping, which sounds kind of like, ooh, the culture. I don't know. When I, when I put it in my notes, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to say it, but we're going we're gonna <laughs> to like break it down a little bit. Um, sharing and preparing a table is a really significant, simple way to have a hand in building up a culture of, for lack of better words, Jesusness. okay? Um, because it also meets a basic need. Everybody has to eat. So if you have a place in your home where you eat, you have a table. And if you have a table, you have kingdom influence. It's just a matter of if you're using it or not. Okay? And spoiler alert, you can. Yeah. So notice in the passage we've been in for the last few weeks, um, they devoted themselves right? This became their habit. It became normal for them to share a table and to break bread together, including the Lord's Supper, right? Um, And this, this doesn't mean that you have to have a friends and family cookout every night, okay? Even for somebody like me who's an extrovert, that is exhausting and expensive, frankly. Have you seen the price of meat? No, I'm kidding. Um, So like most works of the kingdom, though, this starts out really, really small, with whoever the Lord has given you to share four walls with, okay? It could be your spouse and kids. It could just be you and your spouse. It could be your roommates. With whoever the Lord has given you to share four, wall with, four walls with. I think I'm especially sensitive to this right now because in one month exactly today, my oldest child is going to kindergarten. Do we have any kindergarten parents? Yeah, is anybody so sad? I'm so sad. I knew. Well, you know, you know how to do it, though. Um, I'm pretty sad. Um, it's fine. But I can think of no better way to be culture influence, influencers than to have an influential table in my home when I am sending my children out into the world, so to speak, into their schools. Um, so this can start wherever you have a table in your home with the people who breathe the same air as you in your house. Does that make sense? Okay, and then the next thing I want to talk about for just a minute, and I kind of want to camp out here because it really just, something opened up when I started thinking about this today, or not today, I swear I've prepared longer than that. (laughs) Whoa, added myself. But that's, this is the concept of motive. So we know that these early believers, they were devoted, but why? What motivated them to share meals together? Um, We're going to look, actually, in Luke 14, because I think that kind of helps a little bit. Um, It's the description of Jesus' actions at a dinner party, and it's kind of hilarious if you read the whole thing. We're not going to read the whole thing, Um, but if you were attending this party at the time, it may be one of the more bizarre dinner parties you had ever been to. Uh, That made me think of that episode of The Office when Michael Scott and Jan throw a dinner party. Maybe even worse than that, okay? (laughs) if that's possible. So Jesus gets invited to the home of a Pharisee leader on the Sabbath. First thing he does when he gets there, he breaks the ice by healing somebody on the Sabbath. 
But he doesn't, you know, like, he was walking down a crowded street at one point in time, and a lady reached out and touched the hem of his robe, and she was instantly healed. He didn't have to stop the whole dinner party and say, hey, guys, do you think I should heal this man? It is the Sabbath. And then have them be totally silent and then do it anyway. He was making a point. And then he sees all these people vying for the very best seats at the table, and he tells them that they need to learn some humility, which is also awkward, if not true, right? Uh, and then we come to verses 12 through 14. So we're going to put that up on the screen. Because um, I think it really connects with what these early believers were doing. I've always read these verses and taken them at face value. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. In fact, I think we should be inviting uh, people who are not like us, people who cannot pay us back, to our table. Like, that's a principle Jesus modeled again and again and again. But I also think, like, so often in the Bible, um, this is one of those both and scenarios, okay? Um, And for those of you who aren't hip to the vineyard lingo, that's fine. Both and just means that you can take two seemingly conflicting uh, concepts and they coexist together. Uh, It's some nuance there, okay? Um, I don't want us to read too far into this and take an us versus them mentality because who do the poor invite to their table? Who do the crippled and lame invite to their table? Because they have tables. And if the gospel is for all of us, then they should be inviting people too, right? So, um, if you think about this, though, in the context of motive, like what motivates us to invite people into our homes and share meals with us, uh, it gets interesting. So, Jesus said, so of course, okay, keep in mind, he has healed somebody, which he's not supposed to do. He has told everybody that they need to learn some humility. And then he turned to the host and says this, When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. Who do you think was probably at this party? (laughs) Yeah, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you powerful. Uh, Is Jesus saying that it's wrong to invite your best friend over for dinner? Or your boss over for dinner? I don't think so. Okay? Um, Because what's the point in inviting, uh, let's see, the sick, the blind, the lame, if you don't actually care about them? Right? If you're just doing it for like a spiritual notch in your belt, that's, that's, even, that's just as bad as in ignoring them in the first place. So I think it goes deeper into this redemptive work that Jesus was leading up to throughout the whole uh, entire gospel, culminating in his death and in our forgiveness. Uh, he tells us to invite maybe the losers and the outcasts, I think in part because he doesn't want us trying to keep score of all of the very important people who have graced our table, right? Uh, Because one, it becomes becomes exclusive, and what Jesus did for us by dying was not exclusive. It was for everybody. Uh, And it also is maybe simply that in Jesus' death, God was done keeping score with us. Yeah, 
So I think by telling the Pharisee, and therefore, some 2,000 odd years later, us, to invite the lowest of the low, he's simply saying that we are free to eat with whoever we'd like to eat with. We don't have to work at earning our salvation anymore. Um, so the people who dine at our table do not reflect on the way that God sees us. And I think these early believers in Acts 2 knew it. Right? They were out there living their best shared life, so to speak. Let's put up 44 through 47. So if you read further down into Acts 2, it elaborates them. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, not just the important rich believers, all the believers. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I want to live there. Like, I want to do that. Uh, this doesn't sound like the life of a people who are trying to earn their way into heaven, right? Or trying to earn their place at God's big table. This sounds more like to me uh, the life of a people who knew down to their very core and felt even down to their very bones that they had been accepted and forgiven by God himself. So their motive was togetherness because of what Jesus did for them. Not because they could help advance each other's careers or social standing or their spiritual prowess. Uh, when Jesus died and rose again, a new era of inclusion was ushered in. So we're going to shift just a little bit. Uh, we're going to look at the Lord's Supper because if you look in Acts 2.42, they shared meals together, and then there's this little parenthesis, the Lord's Supper, which kind of seems like an aside, but it's like a really big deal, right? And we did that today. I didn't plan that. Yeah, that was, that was just on the calendar to do today, which is awesome. Thanks, Jesus. But inclusion is the bridge that we're going to take to kind of get across to this little phrase. Um, so the communion meal, what was it modeled after? What was Jesus doing with his disciples when they were during the Last Supper? Passover, right? Uh, we read about that in Luke 22. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I feel like most of us probably know uh, the story. But it's also kind of another bizarre dinner scene with Jesus, um, because Passover meal had been celebrated for ages and ages and ages, and usually you said the same things. You did the same prayers, you repeated the same rituals, and all of a sudden Jesus starts in on, this is my body, broken for you, and this is my blood, spilled out for you. And those disciples, I think they lived in a perpetual state of confusion. <laughs> they had to have been so confused. Um, as Gentiles, we would not celebrate Passover, normally, uh, but Jesus turned everything on its head when he died, and he knew that he was going to, right? And I think that's why he wanted to give us a new tradition, a new meal, because as humans, what do we connect around? A table. We can't see Jesus with our eyes. Oh, that we could, right? We can't give him a hug as he walks through our door, but we can share a meal with him. And sometimes that amount of forethought, like the amount of forethought Jesus showed, just stops me in my tracks. 
Okay. Because he gave us a meal, he started a new tradition on the very night of his betrayal because he knew eventually he wouldn't be here with us in the flesh and in the blood anymore. And yet, when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember him. We did that today. We honor him. And he's here once again with us around a table. And we'll never not have to eat, right, unless we're dead. And then we're with Jesus anyway. So if you think of it in that sense, it's more than a meal. It's more like a lifeline. It's a connection. Uh, And it's a lifeline that we're supposed to share together. So Global Church, yes, but also Purple Chairs Church, yes. Uh, And it also reminds us not only of who we are, like that identity, but of whose we are. It shapes the culture of our church. And our motive is that we are gathering to remember it all as a forgiven people. Um, I really love what N.T. Wright says about the Lord's Supper. He compares it to a birthday party, at least in the sense that we can look at it in moments of time. Okay, So every year on my birthday, December 19th, just so you know, (laughs) six days before Christmas, uh, my mom calls me and tells me the story of the day of my birth. I am in my mid-30s, and she has done that a lot, several years, every year. (laughs) Obviously not when I was small. Um, So we remember the past, okay? Uh, Also, hopefully on your birthday, people wish you a happy birthday, uh, and they also say uh, many happy future birthdays, right? They wish you good health and a long life. So we look to the future, and if you have a birthday party, or other some type of birthday gathering, you remember both of those things in the space of like this one present moment in time. And it's the same way with the Lord's Supper. We also remember the past, right? We remember that we owed a debt and we don't owe it anymore because a body was broken for us and blood was poured out for us. And we think about a future in which we'll still never owe that debt. And not only that, it gets better from there because we'll be with Jesus. I mean, come on. Yeah. And we do all of that, the remembering and the looking forward in this collective moment in time, in the present, with our church family, because it applies to all of us sitting in this room right now. That's really good news. And I really believe that when sharing meals together becomes part of our family and church culture, it reflects those same moments in time, okay? So it's great to have meals with new friends. In fact, you should, because that's how they become old friends, right? But have you ever had dinner with people that you've just, like, gone through the fire with, right? Uh, and then hopefully, eventually, throughout that, the course of that meal, you start maybe reminiscing about things. And then eventually you start maybe sharing what your dreams are for the future, and you fit it all into the current space of like a Friday night, okay? Those two meals can reflect each other. And it doesn't have to be, uh, you don't have to get your Bible out, read some Bible verses. Uh, You don't even have to pray. Maybe you should. You don't have to. Uh, But what you're really remembering is the Lord's faithfulness to you in the past, and the hope that you have for a future. So, if you're sitting here today, 
you're thinking, this sounds great. I really wish I had the kind of people in my life that I could share a meal with. You guys know where I'm going with this? Look around you. Here we are, for better or worse. Um, if you have sat in these purple chairs for longer than eh, a couple weeks, this is what you've got. And this is everyone because it's, the, it's you know, combined service, okay? And I know it's really vulnerable to extend an invitation, right? To invite people into your home and to see your personal space. <clears throat> Very vulnerable. Um, if you're new here and you're struggling to find your place, you may feel like I did when I was new here and struggling to find my place, and you may feel like I shouldn't have to extend an invitation because I'm the new one. If we could just have a brief 10-second family meeting, okay? <laughs> I'm going to say something. It's not out of the Bible. But sometimes we can be a collective group of boneheads. And I'm really sorry if you have felt like you're struggling to find a place here. But the good news is that the best way to start devoting yourself to this practice is just to do it. Because again, we all have to eat. So start really small. Again, in your own home, the people within the four walls of your home. I'm going to set up a scenario for you. It's you and your spouse at home, you have been binge-watching Netflix every night during dinner, and you hardly speak to each other during, uh, about your day. I'm guilty, <laughs> right? Sometimes those shows are so good. Um, but set aside one night a week. Turn off the TV. Clear your schedules. Put the kids to bed early. Feed them chicken nuggets beforehand so they will sleep well. That's what we do. And then, and then talk. Talk, right? If you want to include your children in that, that's also great. My kids are little, so that's where I'm coming from. Older kids, you should, in, you should include them. If you're lost on what to talk about, at the risk of being too prescriptive, may I suggest you start remembering your past. You start remembering where the Lord has been faithful to you. And then you move on into dreaming about your future together. And you do it in that one space and time in the present. Get really good at sharing a table with the people who live in your home first, and then branch out. This is like that classic, like, I'm going to go be a missionary in Africa, but I've never talked to my next-door neighbor, <laughs> right? Nothing wrong with being a missionary in Africa. You, you know, some people should do it, but maybe you should talk to your neighbors too. And then branch out, extend an invitation, buy some extra food, maybe clean your home up just a little bit more than you normally would, or don't, whatever, you know, uh, and enjoy life around your table. Because while some of the things I've talked about have been very serious today, um, it should just be enjoyed, right? It's a happy place to be. And the goal is not to burn yourself out every week, cooking dinner for a bunch of new families, uh, to show how godly you are. That, this is just putting your theology to work in small, meaningful ways for a good duration of time such that it becomes a lifestyle, right? A devotion. Uh, we can, as they did in Acts 2, break bread together in various houses 
and eat the food with glad and sincere hearts. Yeah. And we'll see the dividends of this practice in our identities, in the shaping of our culture. And I'm talking like just here in Campbellsville, right? And also in our motivation to start bringing more and more people, people who are not like us, into our table as well. Does that sound good? Okay. So if you're on ministry team today, please come up to the front. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.